Matthew 1, uh, verse, verse 18, which is on page 827. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until he gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Hello, everyone. If we're yet to meet, my name's Nick. I'm one of your pastors here at 10 a.m., and it is a pleasure to be getting in the Christmas spirit together. Is there any kiddos here? Do you want to come down the front? Because I've got a very special prop that I think you'll enjoy. Come have a seat, guys. Come have a seat. Today, we're talking about the wise man. And right here, I've got my little wise man. Do you guys want to hold on to this for me? Do you guys want to sit there? Have a play with that? No fighting while, guys. Sharing. Sharing. So today, we're looking at the wise men. Uh, you might not believe this, but I once starred in a production where I, I was the wise man in a purple robe. I was incredible. It looked a little bit like this, this picture of what the wise men can look like. And I think this is often the picture that we have in our minds. If you can see that, I can't see it as well. There's often those, those kids, I was in kindergarten, and I think I like fell over as I walked down the aisle, and then I accidentally forgot my line. And that's often what we picture, this nice little nativity scene. And you know what? That's very cute and special, but it doesn't really capture quite what's happening. You see, the word for wise man is the word magos, where we get the word magic. And these are men who come from the East who have a pagan tradition where they derive their power from astrology and other spiritual places. So instead of looking like kids, they probably look a little bit more like what this comes up on the screen. These men who, who are shrouded in mystery and shadow and in power. And it's very surprising that these are the people that God chooses to bring to meet God on earth. It's kind of bizarre. Anyways, they come and they offer three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So what we're going to do today is we're going to just look at each one of those gifts and see what it teaches us about the baby who's lying in that manger. So the first one is gold. If you don't know what gold looks like, that's what gold looks like. Probably didn't quite look like that as the wise men brought it. But gold, it makes sense for us. It's a fitting gift to bring and lay before a king, right? In the ancient Near East, it was often the thing that you would lay before someone as tribute when they were royalty. And you know what? This is actually a really incredible gift of God. Because right after this event with the, the wise men, they're going to have to flee to Egypt. King Herod wants to really kill a baby. And how is this young, not even yet married couple going to survive in, in a whole new foreign land? Well, God has just provided them with an immeasurable amount of wealth. Isn't this beautiful? So we have this symbol of 
this king sitting in this manger. Jesus is being shown to us as a king as we look at this gift of gold. Now, I'm going to ask you to nerd out with me for a little bit because this is pretty incredible or boring, depending on how you... I find it incredible. The Old Testament just, it perfectly pictures a picture of this Jesus we're expecting as a king. In Numbers, there's this guy called Balaam who is a Gentile man, so a non-Jewish, and he makes this prophecy about Jesus to come. It's Numbers 24, 17. It'll come up on the screen. Here's what it says. I don't have it in front of me. Sorry. Let me find it. You can read it yourself. Numbers 24, 17. It's this word coming from an unlikely mouth. And it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. What leads the wise men, the magi, to find Jesus? It's a star in the sky. It's pretty clearly coming from this. The magi, they kind of find themselves as like the successor of this unlikely Balaam. These unlikely men are those who are given the privilege of meeting Jesus. And you notice that he has a scepter. That's a sign of rulership, of kingship. We're expecting someone incredible. And it's, it's even more cooler or more boring as you read through the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 7, the expectation of the Messiah is that he'll be a king, but not just any king, the eternal king, the king who will rule over absolutely everyone and absolutely everything. And pretty clearly, we're vibing that whole Solomon thing. Do you remember King Solomon, the wisest king of all? There's this moment in 1 Samuel 10, sorry, 2 Samuel 10, where, no, 1 Kings 10, what am I saying? Where the queen of Sheba comes and she lays at the king Solomon's feet a gift of gold. Who are we looking at as we glimpse this potentially crying and pooping baby in a manger? We are beholding the king of the world. It's incredible. Now, you've probably heard this story before. You might have seen a purple Nick Wise Man nativity scene before. But just, I really want you to see and feel this. At this single moment, the most unlikely of circumstances, surrounded by wild animals, surrounded by unlikely people, the king of glory enters into the world. It's incredible. My question for you is, have you met Jesus as your king? Have you met Jesus as your king? Because he's not just... He's not just like a, a king that you would expect in our world today. He's not just a, a flash in the pan, even for a few decades, where he's hoping to make promises like politicians do and bring about a bit of change. The, the birth of Jesus is the dawn of a new age, where King Jesus will rule forever. He will rule perfectly, and he will bring to this world everything that it was meant to be. He'll, he'll take his, his power as king and he'll deal with every bit of suffering. He'll take his authority as the, the, majest, the majestic one to, to put to death all wrongdoing and bring about an age of peace and incredible beauty. Have you bowed your knee to King Jesus? Because in Philippians it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The question that we need to ask is, will we do it willingly now as we see him? Or will it be forced upon us as we behold his majesty when he comes back again? An unlikely moment in an unlikely setting, but the gold shows us that this is King Jesus. So that's Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. So we've had gold. You get gold. Gold's valuable. Gold's, gold's something we still have today. You know, you might have a little bit of gold on your watch or in your earrings, but the next gift is frankincense. Frankincense. This is what it looks like up on the, up on the screen. Um, these, these magi, they come and they give gold and then frankincense. And frankincense, oh, if you're wondering what it is, I also wondered. I googled it for you. It is a white resinous gum obtained from certain trees in Arabia. And it looks a bit like this. I've got a bowl down here with real frankincense. I googled it. You can still buy this stuff. I got it from Natural Alchemy a bit of a hippie shop, that's cool, if you're into that. But I'm going to pass it around, have a smell, have a touch. This is, again, a very valuable gift. It was considered to be a luxury. But more than just being another valuable gift, it speaks volumes about who this Jesus is. Because frankincense had a very specific use in the temple. It was used as an incense that you would burn in the offering of worship up to God. So we have Jesus who is worthy of gold because he is king, but we also have Jesus who is worthy of frankincense because he's worthy of worship. This is where we go past any other king. This is where we go past any other strong, powerful figure who promises to bring something because in Jesus we encounter the divine one. We encounter the eternal God who made you and made me and holds the entire universe together by the, simply the, the will of his power, we find him in the person of Jesus. And this is what I love about God. He is so disarming and disorienting. You would expect when a God like this steps into the world that it would be the most glorious display of things that you could ever imagine. And yet the moment where the divine one took on flesh, he came as a baby. He's born in a manger, in a stable, and surrounded by all of these unlikely figures. But that's because you can't make this stuff up. 
This, this is the way that, that the Almighty God works. He distorts our ideas of power and rulership and authority, and he says, I have a better way. And it shows you that he's come humbly because he's come for us. He's not come that he might demand things from us as he might if he came in a triumphant procession as a king. In humility, he comes because he is coming to give you something. It's incredible. As my two-year-old Addie would say, is Jesus' birthday, but I get presents? Right? That's what Jesus is about. He steps into this world in this humble way, the divine one, the king of all creation, not just over a city, not over a nation, over all things. And he comes for you and for me. Look at how the, the Magi approach him. This is incredible. These are pagans who somehow have a better grasp of who Jesus should be than the Jewish leaders do. Verse 2, it says, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to, key word, worship him. They've come to worship him. They understand something that the leaders don't, that King Herod doesn't, who should be studying the scriptures and eagerly awaiting the king to come. These, these mysterious figures, they come because they want to humble themselves before the humble one. They want to worship him. And not just like, you know, lip service. Sometimes you can come to church and you sing the songs, you're like, eh, I'm not really here. I'm just thinking about work. I'm just thinking about what I've got to do, you know. Like sometimes that's how we can operate. But that's not how they're functioning in their worship. Have a look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Important. This word is proskuneo. It means to prostrate yourself. So it's not like a, hello, lady," like a little nice little, oh, it's you here right now. They, this is like, forgive me for getting on the floor, but this is like face flat down on the floor, worshipful. Why? Because when you truly come to worship the divine one, you lay everything aside. You give everything of yourself. When you truly capture this, that, that this baby is the one for whom all things were made, including you, you go, flat on your face, and you worship. You worship. You lay everything down. So you need to know, foundationally, that, that this nativity scene is not a cute fairy tale. It's not a nice moral story. It's where heaven meets earth. It's where God reaches out to you, and he reaches out to give you what you need, which we'll talk about in a minute, but when you truly encounter Jesus as he truly is, the only proper response is worship. Have you fallen proverbially on your face before Jesus? Because it's the only right response. Does Jesus hold a place in your life, not just of obedience because he's a king, but of joy-filled worship because he's your God? That's frankincense. I'm going to invite Jeanette up. She's going to come and lead us in prayer. And then we'll get to the third gift myrrh in a couple of minutes. Come to the third gift, the last gift, and that is myrrh. Myrrh. Apparently, myrrh is a resinous gum of the bush balsamodendron myrrh. Try and say that three times. Balsamodendron myrrh. Again, it's, it's a valuable commodity in the ancient world. It's similarly a luxury that many could not afford. It's similarly a gift that means this young family can survive in Egypt. But the reason that myrrh is so valuable is because it's used to embalm dead bodies. So myrrh had a, a good run in Egypt, as all of the wealthy would count it a mark of their wealth to have their bodies preserved and mummified and then being put aside with their valuables. But we're meant to connect this idea to Jesus. You know, you probably know where this is going. But Jesus, at 
at the, the moment of his birth is given a gift that marks his death. Isn't that incredible? Because Jesus, his entire purpose in being born in that manger, being born in such a humble way, was so that he might give his life as a ransom for many. So that as the king, he can bring restoration to all things, but as your God can bring salvation and life and forgiveness to you. This is why Christmas is not a place where you give to others, but God gives to you. He's He's stepped into this world so that he might make his life a life on your sake. In John 19, as Nicodemus prepares Jesus' body for burial, what does he do? He brings a mixture of myrrh. We're meant to see this. The primary reason was that Jesus was born to die. Michael Green said the man born to be king was the man born to die. Isn't that incredible? Now, we're not making this an Easter sermon. But this is, this is the center of who Jesus is. This is the center of the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he might die for you and die for me. It's incredible. If you've, if you've not yet received this message in your life, it will change everything about you, that Jesus sees everything about you, the good, bad, the ugly, and in between. And he says, I love you and I will die for you. See, this isn't like supposed to be a, a sad and somber moment where they hand the myrrh over and it's like, oh, we're going to kill this baby. It's, no, it's none of that. Myrrh actually was a sign of joy in the Old Testament. In Proverbs 7, it's going to get a bit raunchy, but the adulteress lays her bed with myrrh to try and woo over this guy that she's trying to sleep with, right? It, it comes up again in Song of Solomon, that great song and poem of love where the, the lover is knocking at the door and she describes it as if there's myrrh dripping from her fingers. It's supposed to be evocative. It's supposed to bring this sense of, of joy, not sexual joy in this case, but joy nonetheless. Because in this moment where myrrh is used to bring about a burial and an embalming, we realize that he doesn't need to be embalmed because he will rise again. There is great joy as we look upon the king who was born to die. And that's the primary reason why we can bend our knee to him as king. Because he's not the king that demands, he's the king that gives. This is why his death means something, because he's the divine one. He's the frankincense guy. His His life matters because he gives it for you in all of his divinity. And so I want to ask you this Christmas to look past the familiar. Look past the stories that you already know. Look past the details that you could just go through again and again. Open every one of those presents that you're going to open with joy And just have a moment where you realize you open this present because Jesus is a present for you. Let this this moment be a moment where you don't just splash around in the shallows of the Christmas story, but dive down deep into who God is for you. Let this Christmas be different. Let this Christmas be one of, of rich joy as you behold the God who would give himself and enter this world so that you might know him, so that you might have life. This Christmas, there's three things that come from these gifts that I would encourage us to do. First, bow the knee. If you're yet to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, the King of all, it's a moment to now to bow your knee and say, I surrender. Next, fall on your face in worship. You might like to go home and lie flat on, the fa- on your face in your lounge room. That would be a good thing to do. But you may proverbially, proverbially do it as well. Lay down everything that you are and worship him as the divine one. 
But then as you're lying there with your face on the floor, lift it up again and realize the joy that you have in Jesus, the joy of Christ given for you. Yes, we lay our lives down for him, but we only do it because he gives it back to us better than it was ever had in our own hands. So those are three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh, I forgot I have a bowl of myrrh. You got come have a look at the myrrh after the service, okay? It's kind of gross, actually, so you don't really need to, but that's okay. Anyways, we're going to keep singing um, as we praise this Jesus who, who gives himself for us.